This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Morena no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch-up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo irarangi Tangata o Manawatu. Uh, it is a Wednesday morning, a hump day, I believe the, the cool kids call that, uh, middle of the week. And normally we would be speaking to Matthew Dallas from the Manawatu Standard, finding out what's been uh, reported on over the festive break, uh, since we haven't been here for a, a few weeks. Um, but uh, something a little bit different, because uh, last week I read uh, an article in the Manawatu Standard, a little different from the norm, sort of uh, that grey area between op-ed and and, and news. Uh, and this was from John Ogulushka, um, a man who has spent a decade uh, as a court reporter in Manawatu, writing over 1,500 uh, stories for the paper. Uh, obviously a man with his finger on the pulse of, well, crime, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure he might put it a different way, but we have in the studio this morning, John Ogulushka. Good morning to you. Good morning. Fraser. How uh, are you? Not too bad at all, and a happy new year to you. You too. Um, where to start, really? Um, the, the article starts with you uh, outlining your, your main sort of coping mechanism for some of the frankly abhorrent things that you see in the courtroom, uh, and that is you, you use a metaphor of, of the pit behind the farm where all the un, uh, unpleasant things are unceremoniously dumped, and, and you've got that sort of built into the back of your head. Yes, yes. Sometimes to other people I describe it as like a big filing cabinet where mm-hmm. all that paperwork that you hope to never pull out again just goes and lives and gathers dust yes but but i suppose some of that paperwork does get pulled out again because the you know you've been there for a decade you must have people must have seen people either wrongly convicted or stuff coming back for appeal and you have to dredge this stuff up again absolutely absolutely there's plenty of cases where you see people come through court time and time again or as you talked about, people who are convicted of crimes and go on various appeals. These days we have the uh, the I forget the exact name, but the wrongful conviction mm-hmm, com- mm-hmm, commission, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, um, that investigates crimes where people may have gone all the way to the Supreme Court and been turned down, and then still say that you know they've been wrongly convicted. So these things can hang around for a while. Yeah, I have an encyclopedia of one or two criminal. Criminality, I guess, in my brain. I hope you don't come with face recognition. <laughs> um, the, what made you get into the? I mean, was this a case of you decided you wanted to be a reporter and then you turn up at your first job and they say, go to the court? Or did you have a desire to cover, to be clear, not just crime, but mm. things that happen in the courtroom? Yeah, um, I did not plan to, 10 years after I started as a working journalist, to be writing about crime and court in the justice system. Um, I got into journalism to be a arts, music, culture reporter. Right. Which is totally, totally different. But Carly um, Thomas already had that job when you turned up, I suppose. Uh, I think it might have been Emma Horsley, actually, oh, yes, yes. going back that far. But, um, but yeah, I, um, I, 
as part of my journalism training, I spent some time in the Manawatu Standard newsroom and got taken over to court by Jimmy Ellingham. Mm-hmm. A name familiar to our listeners. Indeed, indeed. Great reporter, um, fan of his work. Um, but yeah, he took me over to court to kind of show me how it all worked. And I guess I got hooked mm-hmm. on, I guess, why people do what they do. That's, I guess that's journalism in a nutshell, really. Why do we do what we do? Mm. It's just um, that side of journalism deals with some pretty horrible things that we do to each other. Some pretty horrible things, and you are, whilst there is a degree of separation there, you are face-to-face with, to be clear, some innocent people, but Mm. also a a, a lot of the the bad people of Manawatu uh, who will see your face and and read your articles. Does that not concern you at all? I guess I'm kind of used to that Mm. now. I mean, there have been times where people have threatened me, called me up at the office and had a go at me. Family members, you know, chase me out of the courthouse or, you know, accost me as I'm leaving, threatening if I go over with a photographer, threatening to smash the photographer's camera. Um, And a lot of that emotion is understandable. I guess, you know, you put yourself in other people's shoes. Mm. You know, they're dealing with an extremely stressful and emotional situation. So you do have to have empathy for those people. That's not saying I'm going to stand there and let them hit me. Of no, course, I'm going to, you know, I, I do a bit of running. I play football. I keep fit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I guess, you know, you, you must be uh, acutely aware of the, sort of the security staff and the people around the courthouse as well. It, mm. it, 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 is there a sort of system to, to provide an element of protection for people that are covering these stories? Oh, the courthouse security, especially in Manawatu. So the, the staff from Palms North also take care of Danny Burke and Levin and some of the other rural courts as well, which I'll cover every now and then, mm-hmm. actually off to Levin after this. Um, <laughs> and they're great. They're brilliant to deal with. There was a time where um, someone who was a close associate with a notorious Hotafenua gangster threatened to kill me at the Levin courthouse, and I told the security about it, and they helped get me out through a back way. They're, they're brilliant, absolutely mm-hmm. brilliant. It's the people that work in courthouses that often don't get talked about or written about security staff, victims advisors, registrars, who really are really brilliant people at what they do, and they really do take care of you if you're if you're a decent person to them. Yeah. Uh, I, I know from following your Twitter and, and other social media, and you've written about it in The Standard as well, your, your uh, penchant for craft beer. Uh, <laughs> it would concern me that after, you know, a, a particularly uh, personal death threat or some act of violence, it would be too easy to go home and <laughs> empty your collection in, in one night as a coping mechanism. I mean, do you obviously have other outlets for that, and obviously exercise mm. is a good one. But And you talk about this in the article as well, about coping mechanisms and how some people will deal with what they see better than others, and it comes down to positive relationships, exercise, self-care. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's, it's like anything you do. Um, that was quite interesting in the article. I talked to a psychologist, um, Dr. Ian Turt, mm. who specialises in kind of trauma and first responder well, he was one psychology. for a long time. Well, yeah, um, and he spent time, you know, at Hiroshima after the tsunamis and things like that. Really, really interesting guy. Um, but he talked about the fact that, you know, some people have really good inbuilt mechanisms, and I guess the pit, you know, in the yeah. back of my brain is one of those. But that only works for so long, and then you need to figure out some other ways to deal with what you experience. And he did say there's unhealthy ways to do that, such as, you know, copious volumes of alcohol mm. and 
probably too much junk food. But there's also positive ways to take care of that exercise, you know, spending time with friends and family, just doing things that are good for you and take your mind completely off that. Mm. I, I, I guess after 1,500 stories, one might assume that you were a bit desensitized to what you've seen. But I guess if you were desensitized, you wouldn't be able to write um, both accurately but you know, um, engagingly about mm. this stuff. So it must, stuff m- must still hit you smack between the eyes. Oh, oh, there's times where things happen in court and you you go away and like, you just need to, I'll go back to the office, I'll put on my headphones, play some very loud music usually, <laughs> yes. um, and then just kind of, you know, zone out for a bit. And mm. I think people in the office know when I've had an experience like that. Um, I mean, a really one that I write about in the article was when there were three people who were convicted of the manslaughter of Hotafenua man Michael Valentine, mm-hmm. and his partner talked about how their son, who was I think four at the time, you know, he wouldn't take off the suit that he wore to the wed- to the funeral, yeah, because that made him feel like he was still with his dad, and you know, just utterly tragic. You know, you can't help but be moved by that. You know, there was senior court staff who still now talk about that and say that's probably the most emotional they've ever been in court. And this is people who have been working in the courthouse for 20, 25 years. They've, they've heard it all. Uh, do, do you find you're the person that people come to in the, the standard offices or perhaps wider afield? You know, you're, you're a guy that deals with stuff on the regular. You've got some good coping mechanisms. Someone may have stumbled across something in a story that has jarred them. You know, have you been approached in the past to, you know, what do I do about this, John? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I've had that. I mean, being the union delegate in the office helps for that as well. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, you know, junior staff – Always go to more senior staff to ask them, you know, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with that? You know, as part of my role, I train junior reporters on how to cover court because it's it's a weird place to go, mm. you know. It's not quite Kafkaesque, but it, it is very strange if you haven't been in that environment before. And some people come away from that and they, are, they, they just haven't coped with it very well. And so you talk to them about how they feel, why they feel it, mm. and then – I guess try help them figure out some ways to process that in a healthy way, not at the bottom of a bottle. <laughs> no, um, fifteen hundred stories over a, a decade, uh, and that's that's just say, the crime ones. Well, exactly. It's, <laughs> it, I wouldn't say the tip of the iceberg, but it's it, it's not much of the visible part of the iceberg that, that mm. you're covering. How do you decide what to? I mean, there's hundreds of cases every week, isn't there? Yeah, there are. There are. It's I've got a bit of an internal tier list for lack of a better term where you ask yourself some questions you know is it serious you know a homicide Mm -hmm. um you know a massive methamphetamine ring involving money laundering and millions of dollars um is it weird you know um or unusual there's certain crimes that just don't get just don't people don't get charged with them very often Mm -hmm. you know around Mm -hmm. here I guess, you know, kind of power smuggling is extremely rare, but yep. it's also something people really care about. Um, is it some, Is it a regular, you know, someone being done for drink driving for the first time usually isn't a, a story. Someone being drunk for, done for drink driving for the 10th time is a story. Mm. Do you find yourself being a bit judge and jury in that one, though? Because, you know, you're choosing to cover one story mm. and not the other, so that person gets away without without having their name in the paper as opposed to this other person. It's a bit of a lottery. It, it is because, I mean, gone are the days where, you know, you had the page in the paper and you wrote kind of 
two lines about every single person mm. that appeared in the courthouse. So you do have to keep that in mind, you know. It's, it's this weird internal ethical struggle that I have every single time I'm there, you know. What makes this newsworthy over this? Mm. Mm. And and as you say, the, the focus is on crime, not because I assume you don't want to cover it, but there's just added hurdles when it comes to things like family courts and oh, matters, corporate yeah. crime and all that sort of thing. Yeah, yes. I mean, some civil cases are extremely interesting to cover. You know, I do, as part of my role at the Manawatu Standard, I also cover environmental issues. So, you know, people polluting waterways mm-hmm. and things like that. You know, that's obviously extremely newsworthy as well, and I'll write about that. But family court has its struggles. It's one th- on one hand, some judges say they really want people, the media, to cover family court. They think it's quite important that mm-hmm. people know how it works yep. and what goes on there. But on the other hand, you need to plead your case to the sitting judge to be able to be there in family court. And I've just... I've just never had any luck being able to be there, even though you can't name names, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that's very difficult. Youth court as well is another one where almost everything is suppressed. And for good reason too, you know, the youth court's designed to try make sure people don't come back into the, I guess, the adult. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you know, some some people talk about it graduating into the adult court mm-hmm. and it's designed to keep people out of it. So usually I'll steer clear of there as well. It's... Um when you write about someone, particularly in an unflattering light, it strikes me that you're going to get a lot of complaints. Now, the death threats notwithstanding, <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this, park the death <laughs> threats for one second, um, but people complaining, you, you've written this, and there are complaint processes, mm. uh, and the, the press council is a place where people can go if they feel hard done by. I was Googling you yesterday in preparation for this article and found the, sort of the transcript or the summary mm. um, of a complaint from one Mr. Ross Barber. Oh, yes, um, yes who will be familiar to people who um, are involved in local body politics. Um, but it's a, that, that's an interesting one in of itself mm. uh, because that was around his uh, mental well-being and fitness to stand in the position. But you, I think you said um, off-air, you are uh, all clear with the press council. You've had, How many complaints have you had? Off the top of my head, I think I've had six official complaints to the press council and I think five – one was a split decision and then the, and then the others came out in my favour. Yeah. So yeah. – but I mean that that's – that's good, isn't it? That demonstrates that you're 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 on that sort of cutting edge of making sure all the information is there but you're doing it accurately. Well, that's – you know, the old tenant of journalism is, you know, fair, accurate and balanced. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're covering all that off, then, you know, you should be right. I should say all those press council complaints, not all of them were about – court and crime stuff as well. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first started at the Manawatu Standard, Jimmy Ellingham was the main court reporter and I was kind of the, the helper out, for lack of a better term. But I mainly did business as well. When I started, I've done various councils. I've done arts. I've kind of done it all, really, mm-hmm. apart from I even wrote something about netball once, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> welcome to reporting in provincial New Zealand, you know. Um, one of the gripes I know you have, because I do follow you on Twitter, is uh, name suppression. Mm. Um, possibly not with the, the, the fact that it exists, because there are good reasons for it to mm. exist. Um, but I remember one post uh, of yours where you said, I have successfully challenged the name suppression on this person, but I still can't name them because now they're appealing it. <laughs> uh, it's just it's this ultimate frustration that you'd won something yeah. and still 
still couldn't get what you wanted in the beginning. Um, is is that a regular thing? Do you think this is a, a, a system that is abused? I think before might get a bit technical here, but there's a law that was passed uh, maybe, I'll say within the past decade, the Criminal Procedure Act, which, among other th- other things, did change how name suppression worked. Before then, you could get name suppression because, almost, that's what it yeah. felt like. And um, credit to former Monal 2 Standard Editor Michael Cummings, he, he would, ran massive campaigns about highlighting ludicrous suppression decisions. And the Criminal Procedure Act really tightened things up, but it also has a section which gives media the right to be heard on any suppression issue, mm-hmm. um, which is very good because, you know, we're there on behalf of everyone. So, yeah. you know, our interest isn't, you know, the prosecution side, the defence side. We're there on, we're the eyes and ears yeah, of the public. I was public. just about to say you're the eyes and ears of us and yes. you need to convey everything. Yes. So sometimes I do need to, I guess, be a lawyer on a journalist's salary and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and talk about case law and, you know, why certain, you know, suppression orders probably shouldn't be made in mm. my opinion. Um, and to be fair, the judges around here are very receptive. I guess I'm known around here. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also times where suppression orders, as you say, are there for a good reason, you know, to ensure that, a, you know, a child victim in a sexual violence case isn't identified by name of the defendant yep, or yep, yep. people who have very severe mental health difficulties. Um, you know, there's a case going on at the court martial at the moment. It's the first ever person in New Zealand to be charged with espionage under the Crimes Act. Wow. Um, accused of, you know, allegedly leaking state secrets to a country whose name is suppressed you know and again that that's done for a very good reason yeah, yeah, because yeah. you know we need to maintain these relationships as a country good lord all in little old man were too <laughs> um have you ever noticed any uh, one thing that um always gets people interested is, is when juries misbehave or jurors misbehave um, perhaps you know admit admitting to or being caught reading up reading the story mm. that you might have read on a case and getting some additional information has any of that ever come through in your time um by and large the research done independently shows that juries are fairly good at listening to judges when they say, don't read about the case, mm-hmm. don't, you know, what you hear in court is all you're going to hear about it. Yep. I do occasionally have a juror get in touch maybe a day or two afterwards because I'm there. They then, after the case, do some Googling, I assume, see my name and then, you know, get in touch, but never anything dramatic, you mm. know. I've... I mean, you hear stories about jurors falling asleep, um, you know, not paying attention. And that does happen from time to time. But by and large, juries do a fairly good job. I mean, there was a case at the start of 2021, a homicide trial that was down to run for seven weeks, ended up running for about 12, 13. It was the longest ever jury trial held in Palmerston North. And the jury in that case were excellent. They were attentive. Mm -hmm. Um, and you'd think after a while you would get utterly, utterly bored. Um, or need help going over a homicide case for well, 13 weeks. Yeah, and they were excused from jury duty after that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, judges do have that power to excuse people for periods of time. Yep. And they do recognize just how much of a sacrifice it is to give up your life for, you know, a day, a week, 
and go into something that you have no knowledge of. Mm. No, you know, you, everyone's watched the telly, but seeing this stuff in real night life must be something mm. entirely mm. different. Uh, we are here with John Ogalushka from the Manawatu Standard, uh, looking at his decade as a court reporter in Manawatu. It's it's focused on some of the heavy stuff, um, but you've mentioned in this article, which people should read, by the way, uh, manawatu-standard.co.nz or stuff.co.nz. Uh, you will find it there, uh, also in the copy of a newspaper, uh, shockingly. Um, but you've said in this article um, all of the dreadful stuff to one side. You you do get a giggle occasionally. I mean, you know, the people that – well, we're all people. It doesn't matter if you're in court, in a radio studio, you know, in a cafe. And people are funny mm. <laughs> <laughs> and people do funny things. And, you know, I mean, I've mentioned a few in the article, you know, there's a there's a lawyer who I will not name who has a penchant for appearing via audiovisual links to court and you'll occasionally see his camera get covered up and then the camera go away and every now and then you'll see a bit of vape steam <laughs> emitting from his nostrils and it's clear that his vaping habit is um, rather strong, <laughs> which isn't as crazy as the lawyer I saw take a vape under his desk while court was in session. Good Lord. While in pull- the courthouse. Did they get was- pulled up for that? Uh, I don't know if the judges – the one under the desk I think a judge didn't notice. I was wow. sitting behind the lawyer so I right. could see it happen. Um, judges do pull up lawyers on and people in court on bad behavior, have your cell phone on at your peril. Mm-hmm. Um, there are – you know, oh, there was a there was a, an interesting ringtone, wasn't there, from uh, one of the, <laughs> the, the the court people? Yes, yes, a police prosecutor who had bad to the bone, <laughs> George Thorogood, marvelous. Yeah, um, and also I, I have to mention it because it, it, it just—I mean, it's it's so typically New Zealand. The Black Power member asked by a judge why his gumboots weren't red bands. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, and his response was, "I'm on Team Blue, Judge." Right <laughs> there, you, you are told. Um, I, I mean, a couple. Of, we've got a little bit of time left. Um, couple of the, the big cases you talked about, the, the, the Valentine case, also the Lundy case. I mean, mm. everyone wants to know about that one. Um, that would have been one of the, the bigger ones in your memory and probably the one that fills up quite a bit of the pit. Yes, yes. I covered the retrial and the subsequent appeals. And now that's before the Criminal Cases Review Commission, I think is the official name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, that I spent the seven, eight weeks that the trial ran in Wellington um, live blogging the thing for stuff. That was – yeah, that – I've got a lot of respect for the live bloggers. I mean, they've been doing a lot of that with the whole pandemic mm. situation. They do a good job. There's very rarely spelling mistakes, which shows the touch typing is on point. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, the problem, the trickier thing with court as well is that during trials you have a, a time limit between when something's said in court and when you can publish it. Oh. Because just in case something's said, mm. five minutes later they say, oh, that should probably be suppressed for a good reason. Mm-hmm. And so it gives them time to put that order in place before things, you know, get out on the airwaves or online. Well, that would be a mental challenge to be sort of te- have a 10-minute lag in your own brain. So during the trial, I was shorthanding out notes. Mm-hmm. And when something interesting happened, I'd have to write the time. Mm-hmm. And then when I'd put it in the blog, I'd have to make sure that there was that time delay. So, yes, it, it was a lot of mental gymnastics. That's That was the trial that really, I guess, turned me from uh, – 
kind of average court reporter into a mm. decent one. Uh, there are some nice stories as well. Um, you mentioned, and you spend a bit of time in this in the article, people who you know being in court and mm. having to report on that. Uh, someone you grew up with in Foxton, uh, Dylan, um, he got in touch after reading this very article and I'm not going to say he's turned his life around, but it sounds like he's doing quite well for himself. Yeah, yeah. He's He's got a good job. He's married. He's He seems to be – I know – he let me know that actually things have gone really well for him and that actually the experience he went through, mm-hmm. you know, obviously a terrible thing to end up in court and then in prison, um, actually helped him become who he is now and become a far better person, which is great because those stories are far too rare. Well, yeah, and we were talking uh, off air beforehand how the prison system, it exists. Um, the rehabilitative side of it maybe. Not the strongest uh, string to its bow, but obviously there are stories there that I'm sure corrections would love to get a hand on. And say, look, it, it does work. Yeah, um, but Dylan's kind of the minority, isn't he? Yeah, sadly, you know, it's a, I guess a phrase used by judges, lawyers that prison is probably New Zealand's best university because people go in, meet hardened career criminals, you know, longtime gangsters, l- learn some tricks off them come out, put those tricks to use, end up getting caught, end up back inside, probably pass those tricks on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 quite sad. And I think people in the system, you know, judges, lawyers, corrections officers, probation officers, know that rehab is important and how to, I guess, the kind of rehab people need, but it's, I guess, not politically um Good. No, <laughs> no, and, and and you. I guess. I mean, that's a, that's a, a, a situation mm. that you can only observe. There's nothing you can do ab- about that. But it must form part of your considerations when you're seeing someone being shipped off to prison. You must have your own views on whether that is the right place for that person, or wishing it was different in some way. And you can see that with judges too. Um, I mean, a really fascinating example and one that's quite relevant is the three strikes legislation mm-hmm. um, that's going to be repealed um, by Labour. And, Thank you know, you. And, <laughs> and you can, I mean, there's a clause in there that says, you know, you have to put the sentence in unless it's manifestly unjust. Mm-hmm. And then you can make up your own mind. Yeah. And judges, a lot of the time, are using that, that manifestly unjust thing. Um, to, I guess, circumvent this law that was brought in. Um, so, you know, there's there's a great – if you're into, I guess, legal issues and court reporting, there's a great Twitter ac- account and blog, Strictly Orbiter, I think it's called. And, you know, they posted a joke. It's like, who's going to repeal three strikes first, Labor or the courts? <laughs> yes. You know? <laughs> well, well, as long as someone does, but hopefully it'll be Labour. Uh, you finished up the article, I mean, basically talking about your increasing desire or wanting to know why we do the things we do as people. Um, you're seeing a very particular niche of society um, and, and I guess, answering that question over time, why these people do what they do. I guess the next question is, when's the book coming out? <laughs> uh, that, that sounds like the great premise for a book. Yeah, it wouldn't be bad, actually. Um, I haven't got any plans to write one. Um, oh. <laughs> I mean, 
every journalist says they've got a book in them somewhere mm. and wants to write one. So maybe one day. But, I mean, you obviously do. I mean, the questions you're asking in this article, the stories that you've got, it, it forms a narrative. It's not 1,500 mm. individual stories. Um, and maybe I'm being a bit overly romantic here, but it strikes me that you have a narrative throughout all of your your, your stories that, that frame Manawatu court system and mm. your experience of it. Yeah, I mean, look, the longer you are in a part of society, the more you experience it, the more that, I guess, community and part of society changes and you change with it. Mm. You know, the court system has definitely changed over the past decade. I mentioned in the article, um, I guess, the rising use of cultural reports um, where, you know, family members of defendants or the defendants themselves will talk to a specialist report writer who will dive into their past and learn about their background. Um, and I guess that can explain a lot. We'll go a long way to answering that question, mm. why, mm. why people end up where they are. And all too often it's a very, very predictably sad combination of intergenerational abuse of people and substances, um, you know, um, being – I guess, separated from your cultural identity, looking to find a new identity mm. and, you know, going down, you know, a rabbit hole of criminality. I mean, late last year I was in the arrest court in Palmerston North and there was a father and son both appearing in the arrest court, both for very, very similar mm. domestic violence offending. And it's like, well, this you can, you can tell that this child, well, not a child anymore, he was in his 20s, had grown up in an environment where he saw, you know, dad doing this stuff all the time. And how, what else do you expect? How do you bring you know, the cycle? No, no, no. You, you are what you experience. Indeed. Um, we have to leave it there. John Ogulushka, uh, court reporter and, well, general reporter, but with a focus on the courts uh, for Manawatu Standard. Thank you for joining us this morning. If people want to read more of your stories, uh, just search for John Ogulushka on stuff.co.nz or manawatustandard.co.nz. Uh, Galushka, G-A-L-U-S-Z-K-A. Um, yes, and we will be back tomorrow at half past eight with another edition of The Catch-Up, speaking to Mayor Helen Warboys. Uh, from Manawatu District Council. Jono, thank you for joining us. No problem. Thank you, Fraser. And remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, head to the website mpr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. Join us tomorrow at half eight. Bye for now. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.